All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Uh, happy Father's Day to all of our great fathers and dads across the world, uh, wherever you may be. And we also want to say Happy Father's Day to our Heavenly Father, uh, who is the Father of us all. And so at the same point in time, uh, we also, uh, excuse me, just wanting you to know that all our teachings are, are, are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And in, in case you're wondering, we also want to say thank you to those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website, again, at lighthousediscipleship.org, because at the top right corner where it says Give, it's highlighted in blue, and you can give them anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And at the bottom of every page on our website, you can find our mailing address. And if you're in the United, if you're in the United States, just so you know, all your contributions and donations are 100% tax deductible, as we are a 501c3 church. So uh, we've been talking about such a great salvation. We are week 16 this week. This is a long series, and I still have some room to grow uh, on this. Within this series, we've had many mini-series, or not many, but a few mini-series where we're talking about healing right now. I believe this is our fifth or sixth week talking about healing. I'm not sure about the number on there, but uh, it's all, again, all our archives are on our website as well as our YouTube channel. So a quick little recap. I'm not going to go long, as long this morning with the recap as I have in previous weeks. But we started off by defining what salvation is. It's a gift of salvation. It's not something you can earn. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not grace alone, and it's not faith alone. It's grace through faith. And we also define it, the, the, the word salvation, both the Hebrew and the Greek, word, Greek and both definitions, uh, both definitions of the word salvation, Yeshua in the uh, Hebrew and Soteria in the Greek, is defined as wholeness, healing, prosperity, deliverance, etc., and so we, we talked a lot about the gift of salvation. We also talked about the purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation is not going to heaven and avoiding hell. Those are the benefits of salvation and great benefits of that. Is that worth teaching? Yes. Do we teach that there is a heaven? Yes. Do we teach that there is a hell? Yes. Do we teach that Jesus is coming again? Yes. But that's not the purpose of salvation. That's the benefits of salvation. The purpose of salvation is the relationship with God. Even if there was no heaven and there was no hell and there are, Jesus still would have died on the cross so that we could have a right relationship with God. And so uh, it was still worth dying for, and it was it, it's a purpose of salvation. The greatest part about heaven is God is there, and the worst part about hell is God is not there. Then we spent a couple weeks talking about the necessity of salvation. This was not an exhaustive study on this segment of it. Uh, in, in, in the sense that we've really been still on that treadmill of talking about the necessity of, of salvation uh, for the remainder of the series. But with that, we talked about the benefits of salvation. There are so many benefits, we have not included them all, but we highlighted some of what I call some of the primary ones. And we have spent some, we, like I said, we have some mini-series within this series, and one of those has was on wholeness. We spent about five weeks talking about wholeness, the benefits of salvation, and how it pertains to wholeness. And I believe, <coughs> excuse me, we are in our fifth or sixth week talking about healing and how it relates to our benefits of salvation. Once I'm done with this segment of healing, I'll be talking about prosperity and how it talks about our, 
as far as our benefits of salvation, this is a touchy subject for many people, uh, but I'm going to bring some balance to the proper teaching of prosperity as it relates to our salvation. Okay, so we've been talking again about the benefits of salvation, and we are talking, we are in this mini-series right now talking about healing. Okay, so I'm not going to recap the last few weeks about healing. Like I said, we're, I believe, in our sixth week uh, on, on this uh, mini-series within the series as we talk about salvation and healing. What I want to go to today, though, in our teaching on healing, is I'm going to go over 12 hindrances this morning to healing. This, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a, this is a pretty extensive list as far as 12 hindrances that I want to bring attention to this morning and how we, uh, how we don't see healing. You could actually rephrase the, 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 the title of today's message that 12 hindrances to get our prayers answered, for that matter. So these are 12 things that can be in play that will hinder us from receiving healing or receiving any of the benefits of our salvation, for that matter, including the answer to prayer. Okay? So let me preface it by saying this. There is nothing we can do that would cause God to withhold any good from us. There's nothing you can do. God has already released. <coughs> God, Christ has already died on the cross. God has already sent his blessing and his answers and, and, and every good thing to us in Christ Jesus. It says in Philemon 1 6 that the communication of the faith becomes effectual as you acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. So there's nothing that you can do to withhold God's blessing and good things from you. But there excuse me, but there are things we can do that prevent us from receiving a provision or promise of God. So again, let me just recap this. There's nothing we can, we can do to prevent God from withholding uh, any good thing from us, but there's things that we can do to prevent us from receiving the good things that He has given us and provided us and promised us through Christ Jesus. Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to make us whole, spirit, soul, and body. Jesus came to heal us. Jesus came to set us free. We're going to be elaborating on many of those things and continuing this week and the week to come. So as we get to this subject of talking about hindrances to hearing, hindrances to the promises of God or to an answer to prayer, to the benefits of salvation. Let's go to the Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, so the best way to find it is go to Matthew, go back one book, and we'll go Malachi chapter 4. In Malachi chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. And it says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stumbled. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will lead them neither root nor branch. That doesn't sound so good so far. Let's get to verse 2. It sounds better. But to you who fear my name, that means those who reference his name, those who trust in his name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like a stalk, like stall fed cows. Now, I really want to highlight the first part of this verse, verse 2, or Malachi chapter 4. But then let me just uh, highlight something here in the last part. It says, you shall go out, go out and grow fat 
that means pitiful, that means healthy and good, like stall fed cows. I'm not a farmer, I don't have a ranch, but I've seen enough questions. <coughs> Excuse me. And then when you let, let a calf out of a stall, it has great joy. It will kick up the carpet and it will, it, it, it's happy. It's, it's, it's a, uh, there's nothing like it where a calf is actually released from the stall to go out to the pasture and whatnot. And it's a, it's a well-fed, it's, grow, it's growing, it's fat, it's healthy, it's good. Kind of goes with our opening verse in the last several weeks where John says, I, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. Okay? So in other words, there, there is great joy when you experience the fullness of God. That's what I'm, that's the point I want to highlight here. It's, a, it's not my main point this morning, but, it's, but while we're on the verse, we might as well, might as well touch on this. There's no, there's no greater joy. And I have no greater joy in the pastor than to see that you're walking in the truth. And there's no greater joy you will have or I will have when we experience the fullness of God. Everything that God has provided for us through Jesus Christ and the cross, every, every good and perfect gift that comes from above, there's no greater joy than when we just not know about but we experience the fullness of God. Okay, but let's go back to the beginning of this verse. But to you who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Now the prophets throughout the Old Testament would not spoke of the Messiah and sons assigned to wonders that would follow the Messiah. We talked about this a little bit in, in times past. But notice in Malachi 4.2 that it's spelled son of righteousness, S-U-N, versus son of and righteousness as Owen. And some people think that's just a misspell, you know, or whatever, or just an allegory or not. And I, I can go with some of that to a certain degree, but this, the, the scripture says, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, shall arise with healing in his wings. And I'm going to go with what the prophet wrote. S-U-N. And in other words, I believe the prophet was painting a picture with this, talking about the son the big ball in the sky, S-U-N, for us, or with God's love, for, let me reread re 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 what I wrote. I believe the prophet was painting a picture for us that God's love, God's healing, his provision, his, the benefits of salvation, but he's talking about healing in his wings, so let's go with the healing, that's what we're talking about. His healing is constant, just like the sun, S-U-N. Okay? In other words, the constant rays of the sun are equivalent to the rays of the inanimate that emanate from Jesus. His compassion, his mercy, his goodness. In other words, I believe that the rays of God's compassion, the rays of God's mercy, the rays of God's um, goodness are constant in the same way that the rays of the sun are constant. When God said there would be light, let there be light. And there was sun. He, 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 he said there would be a sun and a moon and stars. But we're talking about the sun, S-U-N. That sun has not stopped having rays of light since God commanded it to shine. Okay? Now, no matter what may be blocking the rays of the sun, the sun is still shining. 
It could be raining. We could have a hurricane or a typhoon or a cyclone or a tornado. But if you were to go above the clouds like in an airplane, the sun is still shining. Something might be blocking the sun. Something might be hindering the light to come through in its full capacity. But the sun is still shining. And the sun of righteousness shall come with healing in his wings. The, the, we, even here locally, we have some local mountains called Lake Arrowhead and Big Bear. And Sherry and I have gone on a cloudy day below the mountains. And then we go, we drive up the mountain, and there's not a cloud in the sky. We're, we're, we, we're, we feel like we're riding, driving on the clouds. Because we can see the clouds underneath. But it's 80 degrees in the mountains, and it's like 60-something degrees down below. We've, we've experienced that at least once. You know, and so the sun was still shining. It wasn't shining, shining so much. Something was blocking us. <coughs> Something was blocking the sun rays down below, but the sun was shining. It's constant. And the sun has always been constant. Even when it's nighttime here, it's shining. The sun is shining on the other side of the planet. Okay? It, the sun is constant. The sun rays are constant. Okay? God's love for us never changes. Just like the sun rays are constant, God's love for us never changes. His tender mercies are new. Every morning, his compassions, they fail not. We read this last week, but I'll read it again. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, 23. Through the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But sometimes we have clouds that are blocking the rays of the sun. I'm not here to talk about science this morning. I'm not here to talk about sun and clouds this morning. But sometimes... Things are, or I'm using this as an allegory because I believe this, this goes with the verse that we're reading from Malachi 4.2. That sometimes the clouds are blocking the sun. And sometimes we have clouds that are hindering us from receiving the sun rays. From the, not just from the S-U-N, but also from the S-O-N. Okay? And sometimes we have hindrances, that's what we're talking about this morning, that prevent us from receiving the rays of the sun. Of the rays from the sun, S-O-N, okay? Again, I'm not talking about science, but let's talk about three types of clouds real quick. I'm not an expert on this. I got this from somebody else. But there's cumulus clouds. There are those white and fluffy clouds that I think we, we all like. They're temporary, okay? They can burn off uh, through the day. And it, it, in other words, temporary, sometimes they will temporarily block the sun because one of those fluffy clouds got in the way of the sun. But there's blue all around it. Okay? And once that cloud passes, the sun shines through again. Okay? There's also the cirrus. I don't know if I pronounced it right, but cirrus, I'll go with that. And I'm the one speaking, so there's the thin clouds. Okay? And then we have what we call the stratus clouds. They are the dark, dark gray, thick rain clouds that we are all familiar with. And we, I'm sure there's different, different variations of this. We have the funnel cloud, and we have different things of that nature. Okay. But we're going to be kind of highlighting the stratus cloud this morning, the one that really blocks the sun from shining through. I mean, if you're really in a storm, some clouds can get so thick, it almost appears to be dark when it's not. Okay? But God's love promises are always shining. Okay? 
But sometimes, something may be blocking the sun rays. <coughs> Excuse me. Are you following me so much? This is not my main topic, but I'm going to use this throughout the message. Okay? We're going to be talking about this morning hindrances to our healing. Twelve in particular. They're not the only hindrances. Excuse <coughs> me. I'm going to get this out of my system. But we're going to be talking about hindrances to our healing. Okay? And what's blocking the healing? What's blocking the Son of Righteousness who comes with healing in his wings? Now, let me say this about clouds, too. Clouds are not condemning us. Just because we well, might experience some of these stratus clouds, and I'm using this as an allegory this morning, they're not condemning us. We just need to learn how to deal with it. How do you know that God can evaporate the clouds just like that? Okay. And so God's grace teaches us how to receive from God. So some of the ways that we learn how to receive from God, we also have to learn how to deal with some of the hindrances that are blocking the sun rays. So again, we're going to be talking about 12 hindrances to healing this morning. And the first one we're going to deal with, A, is the lack of knowledge. In recent weeks and months, I have talked a lot about knowledge. Uh, I did a teaching not too long ago in the Four Prayers of Paul, and I spent a lot of time talking about the importance of knowledge. But the lack of knowledge can be a stratus cloud in our lives when we see from God. Many people sincerely love God, okay? Many people sincerely know God to a measure, okay? But they really don't know God or His Word. In other words, the lack of knowledge is causing many people to perish. How do I know that? Because Hosea says this, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. I don't have this verse on the screen this morning, but Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you don't know the truth, the truth is limited from setting you free. Not knowing the truth is a stratus cloud that's blocking the rays of the sun from setting you free. My people are destroyed from the lack of knowledge. The lack of knowledge is a stratus cloud that hinders our faith. Because where does faith come from? The word of God. Okay, and we, we don't have the knowledge of God's word. We don't have faith to overcome whatever we need to overcome. Because faith begins and ends where the word of God is known. And if we don't know the word of God, faith can't begin and faith can't end. Okay, faith can't, faith, there's no faith. Okay, there's no faith to work. <coughs> Excuse me. If you don't know what God has said about something, you can't have faith regarding it. If you don't know what God says about healing or prosperity or whatever you're asking God for or whatever you're trusting God for, then you can't have faith in that area. Okay? So the, the lack of knowledge can be a stratus cloud in our lives. I mean, it's making sense so far. Okay? Peter says it this way, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And of Jesus our Lord. Grace is what brings us salvation. Grace is what brings us healing. Grace is what brings us prosperity. Grace is what brings helps us have healthy relationships and marriages. Grace is also what helps us raise our healthy families. And the list can go on and on and on. Okay? But he says, grace and peace are multiplied to you in the knowledge of the Lord, of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
We have to have a knowledge of God to receive. And we have to have a knowledge of God for that grace and that peace to be multiplied unto us. For it to grow. So one of the hindrances to our healing is just the lack of knowledge of God. The lack of knowledge of his word. And we make it so so far. That's the first hindrance. The second one is the uncertainty of concerning God's will. In recent weeks, we've already spent a lot of time with 1 John 5, 14-15, so I'm not going to rehash all that again this morning. But this is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we desire of Him. Okay? Because faith, again, begins and ends where the Word of God is known. That's what we established under when we talked about the first point, that one of the strategic clouds is, or one of the hindrances, is that the lack of knowledge. Well, when we have uncertainty of his will, that's also a strategic cloud and hindrance. Because faith, faith begins and ends where the word of God is known, but faith begins and ends where the will of God is, is known too. Why is that true? Because his word is his will. You can't separate his word and his will. I spent a lot of time on this in recent weeks, so I'm not going to really we attach this extensively if I have, have in recent weeks. In other words, we have to settle God's word before we pray to receive <coughs> something from God. If we don't get God's word and his will settled in our hearts before we pray, we're not going to receive from God. That's a hindrance. That's a stratus cloud that's blocking the rays of God's provision and God's answer. If I waver... Without his will, it's hard to receive his goodness. It's hard to receive his promise. Many people will, at the end of their prayers, will tackle on this phrase, if it be your will. You pray for something, and then you say, Lord, if it be your will. That's not confidence. That's not faith, if it be your will. It sounds polite. It sounds safe. It sounds good. Jesus prayed that at the... And garden, you know, in the garden before he went to the cross. But Jesus knew the will. He was praying for something. And he didn't get the, he didn't get the answer to that prayer in the sense that God did not withhold him from going to the cross. Okay? Because it wasn't his will. And Jesus knew that. But at the same point in time, he did pray. In his agony, in his humanness, he did pray that. <laughs> okay? And we make a whole doctrine out of that. And we tack it on to the end of our prayer. And we can know the will of God regarding healing. We've been spending so far 16 weeks on this, and we're not done. Okay? And so we need to know the will of God before we pray. And how do we know the will of God? We know his word. Okay? And if we need further direction, we can ask him. Okay? We can ask for whatever be will. For example, we know the will of God regarding healing. We might not know the will of God where we should live or who we should marry or whatnot. Because you're not going to find a scripture on that. You're not going to say, Mary Sue, or Mary Joe, or, or whatever it might be. You might say, <coughs> you might not have a scripture of what city or what country or what, what, where you're supposed to live, what house, or what job you're supposed to take or whatnot. We have decisions in life. We need to know his will. Okay? And therefore we can pray, in a sense, for what is your will. But and there are some subjects where we just know that we know that we know we can know 
Because there's tons of scripture that we can know God's will and healing. And we need to know God's will. And we need to know his word before we pray. You can't have confidence about something that you're wavering in. You can't have confidence in something that you don't even know if it's his will or not. That's not confidence. That's not faith. And once we know his will before we pray, then we pray the will of God. And the will of God, we will see the will of God come to pass. That's what 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says. Okay, he says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. We know if we're praying the will of God regarding healing, he hears us, because we know it's the will of God regarding healing. And we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the condition that we ask for. We can have a certainty of his will. We don't have to be wondering what his will is. And the uncertainty of his will is a strategy cloud in our lives. Maybe particularly talking about healing, because that's what we're talking about in this subject, okay? Where we struggle to receive anything from God. When we don't know, when we don't know what his will is, when we have an uncertainty, we struggle to receive from God. It's a strategy cloud that's hindering us. Well, why is it a struggle? We are not certain it's God's will for us to have it, okay? If you believe God is making you sick, as some people do believe, you will, it's going to be very hard for you to receive God. If you think that he's the one that gave you cancer or gave you COVID, you're going to have a hard time believing him to be healed from something he gave you. If God gave it to you, why are you fighting against God? That's, that, that makes no sense. And so, okay, so we need to know his will. And it just goes back to our opening verse that we've had many weeks before. He wishes above all things that we would prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. So hindrances to healing. We talked about two already. The, the third one I want to talk about this morning is misunderstanding of the old covenant law of wrath and curses. I've also touched on this in recent weeks as well, so I'm going to go through this one kind of fast as well. Okay, not understanding the two covenants is a strategy cloud in many of our lives. Okay, when we don't understand the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, it will hinder our prayers. It will hinder us to receive from God. The old covenant and the new covenant do not mix. They're two different covenants. Okay? And all some people know, all some people know about God is what was revealed in the old covenant law. I see many posts on Facebook that drive me crazy because they're all about the old covenant as if Jesus accomplished nothing through the new covenant of his blood. Okay? We'll be looking at a little bit, some of this a little bit more deeper uh, in one of my other points this morning as we get there. But Paul said this in Romans 4.15. Because the law brings about wrath. Many people think that God is the one that brings wrath. No, the law brings about wrath. According to New Testament scripture, Romans 4.15, according to Paul. Some have never been taught that we are under a new covenant. How do I know that? Because I... I I hear it all the time, especially on Facebook. I hear all kinds of posts all the time that people have not been taught the new covenant. People have not taught been taught that Jesus died and rose again. People have not been taught that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus, people have not been taught the new covenant. Some, many, are trying to mix the new wine of the new covenant into old wineskins the old covenant. Jesus said this in Mark, and no one puts new wine, that's the new covenant, in old wineskins, that's the old covenant. 
or else the new wine burst the old wine skin, and the wine is spilled, and the wine skins are ruined, but the new wine must be put into new wine skins. Paul said this in Galatians, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. Many people are posting on Facebook and other places and talking as if we are still under a curse. No, we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us is really because of anyone, everyone who hangs on the tree. Who hangs on the tree? Jesus. Okay? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. In, who, where? In Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus did not just bear my sins on that cross. Jesus also bore my punishment, my death penalty on the cross. Jesus and I didn't just bear my sins. He bore my punishment. What was the punishment for sin? Death. Okay? And Jesus bore God's curse for my disobedience of breaking that law. Am I for breaking the law? No. I'm for that Jesus bore my curse. He bore my penalty. He died for my sins, and he died for my punishment. God will never punish me. God will never pour curses on me or you. Jesus bore our curse, and we are blessed. Okay? So we're talking about misunderstanding of the old covenant law, wrath, and curses. And I can spend a lot more time on this, but I have in recent weeks. And I'm going to be looking at some other aspects of this in just a few more moments. Okay? So let's look at the fourth, fourth one this morning. Our hindrance is to healing. The fourth one I want to talk about, sin and living in known unrepentant sin. This also kind of goes with the last one, too. Okay. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one. Because this one is very confusing to many people. Let me look at it again. Sin and living in known unrepentant sin can hinder you from receiving from God. Now that sounds backward, and that's why it's also confusing, because I got people on the law side, on the new old covenant side, who are agreeing with me on this one, okay, but they're, they're seeing it from our Old Testament lens, and not New Testament lens. And then those of you who have the New Testament lens like I do, you're like, Dave, you're just talking out of both sides of your mouth. You, what about grace? How can, if, if there's grace, how can sin, unrepentant sin, Keep me from receiving from God. Well, I'm glad you asked. Okay. Let's first of all let's look at the healing at the pool of the set. Okay. I'm not going to look at. I'm not going to read the whole context in John chapter five where you see that story of Jesus healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. Okay. This man who was crippled for 38 years, and then Jesus heals him. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 14. We're going to read one verse here. It says. <coughs> Afterward, after Jesus healed him, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more. That's a worse thing come upon you. See, God in his grace has forgiven me of my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. Most of us agree with that. Some people get a little hung up on the future ones. But you better believe that God forgave all your future sins because he died 2,000 years ago. All of your sins are future in the sense of the cross. Okay, so all of your sins. God will never be wrath and angry with me. Why? Because God has made a covenant with me through Jesus. That he will remember my sins and iniquities no more. 
Again, this goes also with the Old Covenant and New Covenant, one that I just talked about in point three this morning. But I want to bring this out in, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. It says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sin and lawless deeds that I will remember no more. I didn't read the whole chapter of, of Hebrews chapter 8 when Jesus talked about, or the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, talks about the new covenant that we are in. He talks about how we are in a better covenant. Okay, throughout the book of Hebrews, he's been talking about this, and he really comes to the climax here in Hebrews chapter 8. And he concludes what he just said in verse 12, For I will be merciful to the unrighteousness, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. God can't be wroth with you for something he doesn't even remember. Okay, God can't be angry with you for something he won't remember. Through Jesus, there is grace, there is great grace with me in my walk with God. Okay? I teach on this. I've been teaching on this. I will always teach on this. Through Jesus, there is great grace. Okay? But I've got to throw you a curveball. You ready? However, and most of you know me, like Dave, you usually teach against the howevers. Now you're throwing a however in. There's great grace for us in Jesus Christ. However, that does not change the wages of sin. And some of you are still boggling your heads because you know what I teach. That does not change the consequence of sin. Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross for my sins, but he did not bear the law of sowing and reaping. Let me say this again. Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross for all my sins, but he did not bear the law of sowing and reaping. If I choose as a Christian to live in known, habitual, unrepentant sin, then I am yielding myself to princes and powers of darkness. Galatians 6 says this, Do not be deceived. Paul's in the book of Galatians, and he, in the book of Galatians, he's been teaching against, I mean, in, in the, if you've ever read the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians is one of Paul's harshest books. He is condemning those who are preaching righteousness by works. He says in the first chapter, if you preach a different gospel than this, you are a curse. He, he, he nails it hard against those who are preaching righteousness by our performance. And then he comes in, but he come, then he can come to the conclusion of the chapter, of the book, and the letter. <coughs> Excuse me, and he says. Don't be deceived. He just, he's been preaching about grace in the whole book, in the whole letter. And he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will, of key phrase, of the flesh, I'm going to come back to that, will reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. If you sow your flesh you will reap corruption from your flesh, not God. You're not reaping corruption from God. You are reaping from corruption from where you sow to your flesh. That's, let's go back and read this again. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh, not of God, but of the flesh, reap corruption. God saved us. From the wrath of God, he did not save us from our 
from the law of sowing and reaping. That is still in effect. That is a kingdom law. That is a law that is in effect just like gravity. Whatever you sow, you will reap. He didn't change the law of sowing and reaping anymore. He didn't change the law of gravity to the cross. Okay? If you sow to your flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. Not God. Something that is corrupt has to come from good to bad. It doesn't start corrupt. It has to be corrupted. Meaning it was good. And it got corrupted. Okay? The goodness of God is upon you in Jesus Christ. The communication of faith becomes effectual as you acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. Philemon 1.6 but if you sow to the flesh, you will corrupt the goodness in your life. If you take your freedom, His grace, for an occasion of the flesh, you can corrupt His goodness that's already in your life in Christ Jesus. Okay? If I do a bad thing, that, that's a seed. Everything you do is a seed. Everything you say is a seed, whether it be good or bad. And if you do something bad, it's a seed. And you will reap that harvest. If you sow corn, guess what you're going to get? Corn. If you sow tomatoes, you're going to get tomatoes. If you sow potatoes, you're going to get potatoes. Monkeys beget monkeys, dogs beget dogs, and so on. That's how sowing and reaping works. God did not save us from sowing and reaping. And if you sow a bad thing, which is a seed, you will reap a bad harvest. You will sow, you will reap what you sow. That's how it works, folks. Okay? And so every believer needs to understand this. Sowing to the flesh is a stratus cloud in many of our lives. We believe God, we love God, but we're sowing some bad seed and to the flesh, and from the flesh we are reaping corruption, not from God. Okay? And it's hindering, it's blocking God's blessing and healing in our lives. And we're going to even elaborate on that some more. Okay? I'm not talking about self-righteousness right now. But now that we have received the grace of God... We are not going about, going around purposely and habitually living in known and unrepentant sin. Because of the new life of Christ that is on the inside of us, grace is more powerful than sin. I, I want to hear that again. Grace is more powerful than sin. Some people teach that grace is a license of sin. And some people are teaching that we're teaching that. And those who say that we're teaching that have not listened to one thing I have said over the last seven, eight years of this church. If you say that I'm saying that I give you a license of sin, you are a liar. Because I, you are a very false witness. I have never said that. I've never taught that. I don't believe that. I teach against that. And there, I get there's people, uh, there's, there's, there's some cooks out there who do. We have known people like that. We have known pastors like that. Okay? And we have, we have separated friendship because of that. Okay? But grace is more powerful than sin. Because grace sets us free from sin. 
if you if you don't if you think grace is a license sin, you don't know grace. Because that's not grace. You were already in sin. Adam taught you to sin. The law strengthens sin. But grace sets you free from sin. Grace is more powerful than sin. Because of grace, we no longer have to be a captive in bondage to sin. Why? Because Romans 5.20 says this, But where sin abounded, grace abounds much more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So some of you are saying to me right now, so because, why don't we just sin so grace abounds all the more? I'm glad you asked that because Paul addressed that in the very next verse. 6-1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid. Okay? Shall we, how shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? I'm not teaching, Paul's not teaching grace of the life and the sin. Grace abounds, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Not so we can sin, but so we can be free from sin. That's the gospel. That's grace. Anything else is from the pit of hell. Okay? Jesus came for freedom. Jesus came to set the captives free. And what did he save us, set us free from? He set us free from the powers of darkness where we don't have to yield to them. Jesus set us free from sin. Jesus broke the power of sin. That's called grace. And I don't have to be held captive by any sin. The grace of God can break any drug habit, any addiction, any sexual perversion, homosexuality, pornography, and go on and on we can go. He can break alcoholism and any, any other drugs. He can break depression. He can break even self-righteousness. Okay? I'm not looking for ways to sin because of grace. I'm looking for ways to love because God back because he loved me. We don't need to be deceived mocking God in the subject of grace. We can't expect to treat people wrong and expect good results. You can't expect to sow bad seed and get a good harvest any more than you can expect to, you can, you can sow corn and expect lima beans. It doesn't work that way. If you sow corn, you're going to get corn. If you sow, sow junk and sin and wickedness, you're going to reap wickedness, whatever you sow. Whatever a man sows, that is what he will reap. Okay? Although it is true, I'm going to throw you another curveball. Although it's true we reap what we sow, we also reap what we didn't sow. And it gets some of you apart on your head all the more. Then you're going crazy. If we don't understand this, we will condemn ourselves and others every time something bad happens. Because sometimes something bad is going on in someone's life, and someone will come along, pointing the finger, you must have sinned, look at your harvest. Based on what I just taught, if you sow something, you're going to reap it. That is true. However, not everything we are reaping is what we sow. Okay? Let me look at this. It's true that we reap what we sow, but it's also true that we reap things that we did not sow. For example, let's look at, look at John real quick. We're going to look at this man uh, who's born blind. 
Now, if Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. He was born that way. Okay? Note that. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that was born blind? Now, some, I'm sorry, some questions are just stupid. Okay? The man was born blind. Who sinned, this man? He didn't sin, he didn't sin when he was still in the womb. No baby before they were born was sin. They were born in sin. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But, okay, Jesus answered neither this man nor his parents sin, but that, that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am in the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Someone say gross. Okay, anyway, and he said to him, God washed in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went and washed and came back and seen. So Jesus spit in the ground, he makes clay with that spit, clay, puts it on his eyes, he tells him to go wash in Siloam, and so he went and came back seen. Okay. How many know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Jesus told this man to go do something. <coughs> go wash in the pool of Siloam. Okay? Now, how do we know if we remove the person from the principles of God, we will have legalism. Okay? The key to our success as Christians is to do what he tells us to do. What did he tell this man to do? Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Okay? Doing what he tells us to do is an act of faith, okay, on our part. And our part, our act of faith, releases the power of God in our lives. However, are you following me so far? That's true. And that, that is a major point I'm trying to make. You know, if God tells you to go do something like Nahum, go dip in the, the Jordan River seven times, go do it. Okay? But, even though that's true, if God tells you to go do something, go do it. Okay? However, God may tell you to go do something, but he didn't tell me to go do what he told you to go do. And we make a doctrine out of it. God told this man to go to wash in the pool of Siloam. He didn't go tell us, all of us, to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And now we have a doctrine, in order to get healed from blindness, you need to go wash in the, 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 the pool of Siloam. You know, we, we don't need to go lining up at the pool of Siloam trying to get our healing. He told him to go do something, but there's some things that he tells us to do personally, as a person, as a relationship with God, as an act of obedience, and an act of faith, but we don't need to make a doctrine out of it. And we need sometimes the Holy Spirit to help us discern between the two. Okay? So we need to be careful with that. That's not a major point, but I feel like I have to make that point because some people have just come up with some weird stuff. Okay? Anyway, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor this parent's sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. The baby, meaning the man before he got born, didn't sin, and the parents did not sin. He didn't say sin didn't cause blindness. He said that there was no personal sin on the behalf of the man being a baby before he was born and the parents. We know whose sin caused the blindness. Adam. Adam's sin 
brought death and sickness into this planet. We know that. And we've taught on that at length in this church. Adam's sin is a stratus cloud in many of our lives. The first Adam got us into all this mess. And the last Adam, Jesus, got us out of this mess. It is true we reap what we sow. But it's also because do not receive. God's not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you reap of the flesh. We taught on that. But it's also true, true that we reap things that we did not sow. We're all reaping things that Adam sowed. Sin. Even if you never committed a sin, and you have. But even if you didn't, like this man who's born blind, we were all born into sin because of Adam. Okay? At the same point in time, he says this, for in this, in this saying is true, one sows, another reaps. That kind of contradicts a little bit of Galatians. If you sow to the flesh, you reap the flesh. We do we what we sow. But Jesus also said, <coughs> one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. We reap a lot of things in this world that we did not sow, both good and bad. Okay? For example, if you're born again, you didn't sow that. If you are born again, you are reaping what you did not sow. Okay? Salvation is reaping the benefits of another man, Jesus. His life, his love, his goodness, even his death. Okay? If you are born again, you are reaping where you did not sow. You have reaped the whole kingdom of God. You didn't sow that. Okay? We are all reaping a lot of bad stuff. Because Adam, because sin is in the world. A lot of our governments are wicked. Okay? We live in a fallen world. We live in a world with sin all around us. And many of us are reaping things as, as a society because of things that we didn't sow. Okay? And so, that's why when bad stuff happens, we can't be quick to just point the finger. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers. Okay? You, but many are quick to go, you must have done something wrong to cause this. You must have sown a seed. Someone sowed a seed. It could have been Adam. It could have been this last Adam. Well, you sowed a seed and received righteousness and goodness and wholeness. But someone sowed a seed. Sometimes it is our own sins. Okay, but sometimes it's not. Okay, for example, consider Job. Three times in Job 1, the first chapter, it says Job was righteous. He was a perfect man who eschewed evil. I can't pronounce that word too well. Anyway, he, he, uh, he didn't do evil. God even told the devil Job was righteous. God told the devil he was righteous. I mean, if anyone's going to give the devil a good report, if God's going to tell the devil on you that you're righteous, I'm going with God. Okay? Even God was saying he was righteous. And then, and then Job, not John, comes under direct demonic assault. You can read that in the first couple verse, chapters of Job. It was a direct demonic assault. The devil was asking permission to assault Job. And God gave him permission in this instance. Okay, it was a demonic assault. It didn't come from God. Okay, for weeks his friends, and I put that in quotes, accused Job of sinning. And then Elijah finally speaks up the youngest. He let the elders have their chance. 
and the ages condemn them for condemnation. We need to stop warring with each other. We need to stop condemning each other. And we need to love one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to bear with one another. We need to pray with one another. And we need to fight the good fight of faith together, not against each other. Okay? But Job did, if you continue to read the book, Job did eventually question God's righteousness. And so into the flesh is a stratus cloud in our lives, which we're going to talk about under this point. Questioning God is also a stratus cloud in our lives. Because some of us have become bitter and we have questioned God. Condemning one another is a stratus cloud in our lives. So a lot more I can elaborate on that, which I did, but let's go to our, our next point, our fifth point this morning of hindrances to healing. The fifth one I want to go to is uh, traditions of men. Okay? Not going to spend a lot of time with this one, but I'm going to nip this one on the head too. Mark 7, 7 through 8 says, In vain they worship me, teaching as, doc as doctrines commandments of men. Jesus is saying, They are teaching, they're worshiping me. But they're teaching commandments not of God, but of men. For laying aside <coughs> the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men. He goes on to say, verse 13, making the word of God of no effect to your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. They were holding the traditions of men as the commandment of God. And many are teaching what people say instead of what God said. Okay? And the traditions of men are the stratus cloud in our lives. In a few weeks, we're going to be talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh. And some people think in Paul's thorn in the flesh that he didn't get, they think it was an illness that he didn't get healed. Some people go as far as say, people believe that Paul had some Asian eye disease. Okay? And because God did not heal him from this Asian eye disease, that God didn't heal everybody. Okay? Men talk that. And it's a strange cloud regarding healing. And we're going to deal with this in a few weeks. Okay? There's nothing in this Bible or scripture that Paul had an Asian eye disease. Men may that. But people will reject what the word of God says and they will hold on to what men say. Okay? Making the word of God of no effect. And it's the same that we do. So why are we not seeing more signs and wonders? Because we made the word of God of no effect through our traditions. Why are we not having more encounters with God? Because we have made the word of God of no effect in our lives. If you believe what people have told you more than you believe what God said, you will cancel out the power of God. He said in the parable of the sower in Mark's version of it that we need to take heed in what we hear. We need to, take, we need to pay, pay attention to who we're listening to. I say this with all due respect, but there's a, there's a lot of junk out there that people are listening to that God never said, man never said, and the traditions of man are a stratus cloud in their lives. Yeah, I can spend a lot more time with that, and I will talk, talk more about um, uh, this uh, Asian eye disease. I will also look at Timothy, who had a stomach illness. Okay, him Paul encouraged me to use wine. We'll look at that in more detail in weeks to come as well. Okay, 
Henderson Hill, let's look at number six. Demonic assault. Okay? This one gets a little uh, eerie. Uh, okay, so bear with me. In Luke 13, 11, we have a woman who was bowed over, who had the spirit of infirmity for 18 years, okay, and was bent over and could no way raise herself up. Verse 12, and when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. That's the best thing, the best, best place to think. Start. We call people to him, not us. And said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Some, not all, illnesses are simply a demonic infirmity. Okay? And this is, but this is a strategy class for many regarding healing. Why is that so? You know, Jesus said, again, take heed what you hear. And there's a lot of religious teaching out there who get real weird when it gets to the demonic stuff. Okay? And when we are talking about demonic, there are two ditches. One on one side, one on the other side. The first ditch is there's no demons at all. We don't talk about them. We don't acknowledge them. We don't, we don't mention them. We don't talk about them. That's a stratoscraft. Okay? The spiritual realm is real, both demonic and angelic. Okay? For example, Jesus, it says this in Acts 10 through 38. <coughs> Peter's talking to Cornelius and his household. He says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The spiritual realm is real, both demonic and angelic. And those who don't believe that there's a spiritual realm, it is a stratus cloud in their lives. And many people try to ignore the fact that there is a demonic. That is one side of the ditch. Okay? The other side is the ditch is worse. Yes, I said that. The other side of the ditch is worse. There's two ditches. There's, that first ditch is not good. The second ditch is, is worse. The second ditch is this. You see a demon everywhere. Everything's a demon. And you are demon conscious. There are people who are always thinking and talking about the devil everywhere, all, all the time. They're talking more about the devil than they're talking about God. There are people who are devil conscious and they're not God conscious. They're not gospel conscious. They're not Jesus conscious. They are so devil conscious. I can almost say they're devil worshippers. I'm not going to go that far. But you're, you're giving him all the attention. You're giving him all the allegiance. And you're giving God none. Something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with someone who's devil conscious over, uh, over everything. Okay? Is there demons? Yes. To say there's no, that's the other side of the ditch. Okay? But there are people who preach more about the devil than they do about Jesus. Well, I'm not preaching about the devil. Well, he's the only one you talk about. Okay? And so, some people believe there's a demon behind every bush. And this is a huge stratus cloud for many people. Okay? The problem with the whole demon behind every bush thing is that only a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven. And behind every bush, there's two angels. So for, if you want to go with the, the whole demon behind every bush, there's two angels behind every bush too. For every demon. And they're kicking the snot out of all the demons. 
Okay? And so it doesn't work. We need to be sane. We need to be sane about the things of God. Thinking that there's a demon behind every bush is not sane. It's insanity. It's wrong. It's wicked. It's demonic. You are, can really hurt someone if you try to cast a demon out of someone and they don't have one. Do you know how many people I've ministered to? They were messed up because they were told they had a demon and they did not. That is the most wicked, cruel thing I've ever heard. And it will it can affect people. Okay? Paul said, if if or Jesus said, if you cast out a demon, you need to clean the house. Otherwise, it's going to come back seven times five. So you, unless you know what you're talking about, know what you're doing, you need to be careful. You clean someone's house, if, if you cast out a demon, but you don't clean the house, you're going you to make them seven times worse than you, you, they were before they met you. You need to watch out well to you who are doing just stupid stuff like that. Okay? We need to walk with God and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's why one of the gifts is discerning of spirits. Okay? Demon consciousness is a huge challenge cloud for many. I, I, I'm not going to spend a lot more time on that. So let's go to look, let's look at our, our seventh hindrance to healing. G. Not discerning the Lord's body. I want to spend a little bit of time on this. I'm running out of time here, so but the last couple are going fast too. Again, I've taught this in many weeks prior. I can't teach you why so-and-so died. But I can teach you how to live. Okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have Paul talking about the Lord's table. Okay? He says, I, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat this in my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He goes on to say in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats or drinks this, the Lord's Drink of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I think I missed something here, but anyway, it's not important right now. But let a man examine himself. That's where people get hung up. I'll come back to that. And let us, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning, that's my point, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak, and sick among you, and many sleep, and I will come back to that, because it's the subject we're talking about. We are partaking, when we come to communion, and we have the, the bread and the cup, we are partaking of the Lord's table in remembrance of Him. Okay? We are proclaiming of the Lord's table, His death, and we're proclaiming His death in remembrance of Him. Okay? What did, here's the question I have for you. What did Jesus accomplish in his death? What did he accomplish on the cross? Now, if you read Leviticus chapters 1 through 5, you're going to find that there's five different offerings represented what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we're not going to look at all five chapters of Leviticus. 
But in, but in Leviticus chapter 1, you'll read about the burnt offering. In Leviticus chapter 4, you'll read about the sin offering. So let's look at those real briefly here. The sin offering and the burnt offering. Okay? The priest would examine the lamb. There's a little lamb here I have here. Okay? He would examine the lamb. And the priest never ne the priest was never told to examine the man. He was supposed to told to examine the lamb. That had to be without spot and without wrinkle and without blemish. Okay? The man would then place his hands on the lamb. It would be bigger than this little lamb I have in my hand. Okay? And the sin up, the, the man's sin would transfer to the lamb and the lamb was slaughtered. That's the sin offering. That's speaking of the cross where Jesus was crucified. But in laying his hand on the lamb, not only did the man's sin transfer to the lamb, but the unblemishes of the lamb transferred to the man. That's righteousness. The unblemishedness. That is the burden. The burnt offering speaks of our, his righteousness being transferred to us, and the sin offering talks about our sin being transferred to the Lamb. But nowhere was the, the priest examined the Lamb. He was only to examine, nowhere was he supposed to examine the man. He only examined the Lamb. Okay? Jesus, as our sin offering, became our sin. And Jesus, as our burnt offering, gave us his righteousness. I have a longer teaching on this, but this is my short version. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that's a sin offering, that we might become the righteous of God in him. That's the burnt offering. Okay? So when we get back to our text here in Corinthians, he says, and when you have given thanks, you broke it and said, <coughs> excuse me, take each as my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're doing this in remembrance of him. We're also partaking of the cup. The cup of his new covenant in his blood that we do as often as we, you drink it in remembrance of me. And he goes on to say, verse 26, that we proclaim the Lord's death. As often as you do it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay? But then in verse 28, he says, let us examine a man, let a man examine himself so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let him examine himself. And this is where I want to come with my point this morning. On one of the things that hinders us from receiving healing is that we are not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 29. I have the reference wrong on the top. Nowhere in the Levitical law did the priest ever examine the man. Even in the Old Testament, the Levitical law, the priests only examined the lamb. And we are in the better covenant, the new wine. Jesus, through the cross, became our sin, and he crucified it, our, our sin offering. And through the cross, Jesus gave us his righteousness. That's the burnt offering. Okay? So when we come to the Lord's table... In remembrance of him. He died for us. As our sin offering. As our burnt offering. He took our sin as far as the east is from the west. He became our sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
And we're coming to the Lord's table in remembrance of his body that was broken for us. And the cup of his new covenant that was shed for us. And we're remembering him. We're proclaiming his death. And then afterwards, we examine ourselves. What do we see? When we come to the Lord's table and we're proclaiming his death, what do we see when we examine ourselves? If we still see sin, we are not discerning his body that was broken for us. If we are remembering that he died for us to give us healing, his body that was broken for us, his sin, his body, the cup of his blood, his new covenant, we're proclaiming his death. And nowhere, even in the Old Testament, were we supposed to examine the man only as a lamb. If after in remembrance of him, we're still seeing our sin, that is an oxymoron. That is antichrist. We are not examining ourselves. When we examine ourselves, according to what Paul said in verse 28, we should see ourselves as the righteousness of God in him. Because if we're remembering what he did for us as our lamb, and we still see sin... We are saying Jesus, our Lamb, did nothing. That is not discerning his body. But when we examine ourselves in the context of remembrance of him proclaiming his death, we should see nothing but righteousness and purity and cleanliness because we should see Jesus. When we examine ourselves, in the context of remembering him, we need to see that we're righteous. If we're proclaiming his death, we are, we are discerning his body. We are remembering his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And we still see, see sin, then we are not remembering, we are not discerning, we are not doing any of that. Because we are saying, Jesus did all that for nothing. Because we're, we were sin, and now we're still in sin. That is a bunch of junk. That is, not, that is not discerning his body for us. That's why he said, we're not discerning the Lord's death. And then he goes, in verse 30, he says, For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. The New Living Translation says, verse 30, this way, That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. One of the reasons, this is not the only reason, I'm giving you 12 already this morning. One of the reasons people are sick and are dying prematurely is that they're not discerning the Lord's body. Paul is very clear with that. Where we get mixed up is that we are mixing the old new wine and new old wineskins. And we are examining ourselves in the old covenant. And we're not even examining ourselves in the old covenant because the priest didn't even do that. Okay? And so, we need to know... We need to know and be so in our hearts that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteous of God in him. If we are not discerning the Lord's body, it will cause us to be weak, it will cause us to be sick, and it will cause us to die prematurely. We all war with sin and sickness. Not discerning the Lord's body is a stratus cloud in many of our lives. Okay? Let's go to the next one, H. Dishonoring our parents. Ephesians 6, New Testament, Ephesians 6, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He quotes the law. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, he quotes again, and that you may live long on the earth. I want things to go well with you. I want you to live long on the earth. For some of you, this is extremely hard, though, when we talk about honoring our parents. Because some of you have been abused. Some of you have been molested. Some of you have been abandoned. And I understand this is hard. And I'm not ignoring that. But I am highlighting the Word of God. I am going to preach the Word of God. And dishonoring your parents, no matter what they have done, is a strategy cloud for many. And I understand this is hard. Extremely hard for some of you. And I'm not trying to ignore that. Okay, some of you have had bad parents, physical abuse, verbal abuse, molested, abandoned, and alcoholic, and the list can go on and on and on. I can't relate with most of you on this because I have not experienced that. Both, both my wife and I, we've had good parents. But some of you, your story is different, and I get that. But you do have a heavenly father who has always been faithful. He has never hurt you. He's never done any of these things. And we're, we're here on Father's Day. Okay. And so, again, many of us have had been, have went a grief where we did not sow. You didn't sow molestation. You didn't sow rape and, and abuse. You didn't sow alcoholism and abandonment. You didn't sow, reap, sow those things. But yet you are reaping where you did not sow. There's no example of that that we made. A day of reckoning will come. Okay. Say, David said... Do not fret because the evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of the iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wet weather as the, as the green herb. And we need to begin, no matter what they have done to us, not for their sake, but for your sake. You need to forgive. And I know that can be extremely hard. It will take faith in God's grace and his mercy for you to forgive some of the horrible things that have been done to you. Okay? But don't dishonor your parents, no matter what they have done, that you may live long on the earth. Honor your heavenly Father, no matter what they have done. Honor Him. And how do you honor Him despite the junk and the uh, evil you have endured? By being, by the grace of God, being the dad that you wish you had. By being the mom that you wished you had. That's how you honor him. That's how you honor even them. You honor them by being the dad and the mom you wished you had. That's how you honor them. I'm not saying they have to be in your life anymore. But in some cases it would not be good for them to be in your life anymore. And I'm not wiping everybody with this brush. But I understand there's some things that you need to be away from. And, and just because you forgive them doesn't mean you like them, doesn't mean you approve them, doesn't mean you have forgotten what they've done, but you need to be healed. And you, by God's grace, be the dad and the mom that they never were to you. Honor him, that you may live long on the earth. Okay? And dishonoring your parents is a strategy cloud for many. Let's go on. Unbelief. I'm running out of time. I'm out of time already, but I've got to finish this up. Okay. We struggle with unbelief. 
But unbelief is a strategy trap for many of us. Levels of unbelief. The first one is the crowd. The crowd can hinder the power of God. Whether that be the crowd at the hospital, the crowd being your family and friends, the world, or whatever it might be. Okay? When Jesus said to them, my prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And now he did not do mighty works there because of unbelief. Okay? There are some places where Jesus could not do because the crowd was in unbelief. The majority was in unbelief. <coughs> but Jesus, excuse me, and then my prophet is not without honor except in his own country, about his own relatives and his own house. Now he could not do mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief that he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. He couldn't heal them, but he still taught them. Okay, and I don't have time to elaborate on that right now. If unbelief hindered Jesus' ministry, it will hinder ours. There's some people, there's some churches, there's some circles of faith, there's some groups that you're not going to be able to do much ministry because of unbelief. It will hinder. It's a stratus cloud in that environment. Oral Roberts said this, the hardest place to get people healed is in church because some churches, not all churches, but some churches, there's too much unbelief. There's too much religion. There's too many traditions of men that made the word of God of no effect. The hardest place sometimes you see people get healed is in church. Not all churches, not in this church, but in some churches, in some of the places, hardest places you see people get healed because of unbelief. So we have unbelief, we have the crowd, but we also have the disciples. With this one, I'm looking at the story of Matthew chapter 17. I'm not going to read all of it. But so the father, the talk about father, who brought his son to his disciples, but they could not hit cure him. God having gotten bored, he was throwing himself in the fire. Okay? Excuse <coughs> me, he had epilepsy. And then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation. He's talking about his own disciples right now. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. That, that, that sounds familiar. We talked about that already earlier. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came, it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Jesus rebuked his own disciples for not curing the child. In Matthew 17, then the disciples came to him privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. There, there are, the disciples' inability to perform the will of God did not change the will of God. Just because the disciples could not kill the boy did not mean that it wasn't God's will for him, the boy not to be cured. The only reason why the boy wasn't cured because the disciples unbelief, not because it was not the will of God. How do we know? Because Jesus took over and healed him. He re and he rebuked his disciples in the process. Because Jesus healed the boy. We think if the preacher prays for us and nothing happens, it must not have been God's will. No, it's God's will. Maybe the preacher is unbelief. Maybe it's the reason you haven't been healed because maybe I was an unbelief. I know some pastors won't be honest like that. But I know there's been times where I have not been in unbelief. The one reason I still have a problem with this cough, some reason I still have a problem with my ears, it's not God, it's me. I'm the one in unbelief. I'm not saying that's good, I'm not saying that's right. That's the truth. Okay? And 
that doesn't mean I have. I've seen people healed. I've seen people healed from cancer. I've seen people healed from all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. And I don't have time to go at all, all of it right now. But I'm not standing firm against this cough, against which is basically my asthma. It's not COVID. It's not any other thing. I haven't been sick with anything else since 2009. I still have this cough that lingers on, and that's just me not, not being wise up, take my thumb out of my mouth, and stand against it. Okay, but my faith can hinder uh, people from being healed. Okay, maybe sometimes the preacher is the one who doesn't believe. My unbelief can hinder you if I have unbelief. So there's three levels. The first one is the crowd, second disciples, and third, sometimes it's just your, your personal unbelief. Like the father, the father. In the same story, we're going to look at Mark's translation of it. Jesus said to him, the father, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father said immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears. And this is, this is where most of us are at. I, believe, I do believe, but help my unbelief. You can have belief and unbelief at the same time. And you, when you have them at the same time, your unbelief will be, will trump. Okay? You have to starve your unbelief. And he talks about how it comes out through fasting. And that's where we, through fasting, we don't change God. Through fasting, we change us, where we are now focused on God, and we are starving our unbelief. Okay? We have all been there. All of us. And unbelief is a stratus cloud for most of us. Let me finish this up. I got two more, 11 and 12. Strife in general will hinder your prayers. I know I'm over. Thank you for your patience. And let me wrap this up. Strife is a stratus cloud for many of us. I am convinced most of us are sick because of strife more than any other cause. Okay? For where envy and strife is, James 3.16, where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. Sickness and disease is an evil work. Will, will you guys agree with me on that? Okay, we okay, Sharon? Okay. Peter says this, 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, likewise, um, dwell with them, your wives, under, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of grace of life, grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. I can elaborate a lot of things here, especially the weaker vessel part. It's not because she's weaker, uh, just in strength and muscle, whatever that might be, but she can, sometimes she, she can be more sensitive to things. Uh, and so I don't have time to teach on all that right now. But he says, don't let strife be in the marriage. Otherwise your prayers may be hindered. Okay? Strife is a strategy cloud for most of us in our marriages and our relationships. But another that goes with this, I split these up on purpose, is unforgiveness and offense. The first one was strife, and when there's envy and strife, there's every evil work. And one of the evil works is sickness. It's not the only thing. But if we have strife in our marriage, we are also going to hinder our prayers. Okay? But with that goes unforgiveness and offense. I could have combined these together, but the writer of Hebrews says it this way, looking carefully, if anyone falls short of the glory of God, if any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. Unforgiveness and offense is a stratus cloud for many. Where we can, we can let a root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble. What kind of trouble? Well, sickness is wonderful. 
I've seen many people get sick because of unforgiveness and bitterness. I was ministering to a gal one time in Mexico, and she had a withered hand. It was deformed, and the Holy Spirit told me to go for her to go home and forgive her mom. She did. She came. She came back the next night, and she had, with her mom. She had forgiven her mom, and her hand was healed. I don't. I can't explain everything. I don't know exactly how why all that will work. But sometimes unforgiveness, a root of bitterness, can cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Okay, unforgiveness and offense is an extravagant problem for many of us. It takes grace and it takes faith to forgive people and to not be offended. Forgive those who have trespassed against you as God has forgiven you. Also, 2 Corinthians 2, 10, 2, 10 and 11. For whom you forgive anything, I also forgive for, indeed I have forgiven anything. I have forgiven that one for your sake in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul is talking about how he forgave someone. And he forgave someone so that he, Satan would not take advantage of us, meaning you and me. And we are not ignorant of his devices. When we don't forgive, when we are offended, we give Satan a place for every evil work. Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy, and it's easy to get offended. And unforgiveness and offense is a strategic cloud for many of us. But God can elaborate these strategic clouds I've talked about. I mentioned at least 12 of them this morning. And some more, because some of these points have multiple strategic clouds. We're talking about the benefits of salvation. We're talking about healing. We're talking about such a great salvation. But we talked specifically this morning things that can prevent us from receiving God's goodness and receiving God's healing. I know I went way over. Thank you for your patience. I'm hoping that the, the, the video was still on. If not, I'll, I'll pick up on some of these things next week. But God bless you guys. Happy Father's Day again. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday. God bless.